For those of you who are joining us for the first time today, be it online or here in person, we have been working through a series called Identity with a real focus on those middle four letters, the word dent. Because here we are on planet Earth trying to find our identities, trying to live out our identities and be consistent with who God created us to be, but for many reasons it is challenging, and some of those reasons have come to us in the form of these dents in our lives. And some of these dents are because of kind of internal things, and we spoke about some of those last week. Some of us are dented because of external things that have happened to us, but up to this point, we have been talking about me and my identity, how God meets me, how God gives me an identity, how God is forming me. And today we're going to move from me to we. You see, not only do we have an opportunity to grow in our own identity in Christ, the new us, the Christ, sorry, the me and the you that is being formed by God for His purposes that He is freeing and releasing. Not only do we have that opportunity, but we also have an incredible responsibility to one another. And we are going to discover that we can either work well with God in each other's lives or in many ways, we can hinder this process. When we're talking about being in each other's lives and how I have a role in your life and you have a role in my life with regards to me living out my identity, this can be so beautiful on one hand and it can be so challenging because some of you are sitting here and you're saying, Stephen, some of these dents in my life are because of this place that we call church. Now, maybe it's not necessarily these people and Riverside Community Church, but as you've gone through life and maybe been in different church contexts and engaged with different Christians, you've been hurt and you've been dented and you're saying to yourself, I don't know if this is a safe place for me to live out my identity. I've heard way too many stories of people who have said in a moment of vulnerability, I came to the church hoping that I would find love, hoping I would find acceptance, hoping I would find a safe place for me to engage with God and live out what He's doing in me, except I just got hurt again and again and again. Now, some of this has happened out there. For those of you who have any awareness of what's going on with regards to the global church and some so-called famous leaders, we have unfortunately seen scandal after scandal after scandal, which has deeply disappointed many of us and maybe even dented some of us in our faith. But not only am I talking about what happens out there, I'm talking about the reality of what is here. And while I want to acknowledge how real that is, I want to invite us 
to this challenge and this opportunity and this responsibility that we have to change the conversation. Where this morning we catch a bit of a vision of how we can serve each other in this way. And that there are gonna be people standing up in front of churches one day and in front of their friends and families saying, man, so-and-so was so vital to me finding my faith and walking with me in my faith and helping me find my identity in Christ. And that's the vision I wanted to leave us with this morning as we go through this. And so... As we talk about we and me, I'm gonna be repeating a phrase or a sentence that I'm hoping will kind of make it through your minds into your hearts by the end of today. And that is this, what God has done for me, I do for we. What God has done for me, and in this particular series, I'm talking about everything we've covered thus far, What God has done for me, I do for we. So let's pretend we're in grade three and say it together. What God has done for me, I do for we. So let's put that into practice. When we started this series five or six weeks ago, Craig just laid the foundation of our identity in Christ. And the most true thing about our identity and we sang about it so beautifully this morning, is that we are children of God. That we are fully loved by Him. We don't earn that. We don't merit that. We don't have to perform so that we can get loved. We are loved like dear children. I love the way Timothy Keller puts it. He says, does the Father enjoy the Son? Well, that is how he enjoys you. Does the father love the son? Well, that is how he loves you because we have been adopted sons and daughters into his family, into an inescapable love. And that is probably the most true thing about you. Now let's move from me to we. And Romans 15 verses 17, verse seven is gonna help us do that. Where Paul writes, and he's, by the way, he's writing to a church experiencing racial divisions. In their case, it was between Jew and Gentile. We have our own divisions. But here is the verse that we're going to apply to ourselves today. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, I love that this verse says way more than simply accept one another. I mean, that's maybe easy to put onto a meme and put out on social media, but I don't know if that's very helpful because like, what does this look like? What does it mean to accept one another? And so this verse has three parts. It opens up with a what. What are we going to do? We're going to accept one another. Then it gives us a how. How are we going to do this? As Christ has accepted you, And why are we going to do this? To bring praise to God. So if the way we're going to accept one another, the how is connected to how Jesus accepted me, how did Jesus accept me? On what basis did he accept me so that I can move from me 
to we. Now let's get real. If I say, why did Jesus accept you? Something inside each and every single one of us wants to respond with, well, why wouldn't he accept me? I'm so awesome. I'm so special. Thank you, Anik. I mean, you know, people love me. But let's get real here. While that may be true, we have also been trying to get really honest with some of the dents in our lives. Some of the ways that people have failed us, but also some of the ways we fail ourselves. Some of the ways we fail others. Our own brokenness, our own woundedness, our own sin. And as as uncomfortable as that is, we've been recognizing that that is part of our story, which is why it is so hard to live out our identity in Christ. And so when we say, on what basis did Jesus accept you? Craig prayed this earlier. He knew all your sin, all your failures, all your shortcomings, all your weaknesses, both both past and present and future, and yet he fully embraced and accepted you. Knowing what a mess we are, he accepted us. And that's really at the heart of the gospel, but that is, this is so opposite to the way the world works. I mentioned this kind of anecdote in my book. You might have to really use your imagination for this, but in my early 20s, I used to be in a punk rock band, and I used to skateboard. I used to be one of those people, and uh, just for those of you who don't know kind of the the ethos behind the whole punk rock world. And this might not be true of every individual, but it's kind of what's behind all the songs and all the angst. It's kind of like anti the man, anti the institution. Very often just talking about and singing about how we were the outcasts, we never fit in at school. And so we're gonna create a new safe place that is not like that place. And instead of being a really welcoming space, they've just got a different set of criteria. And so I would walk into these skate shops and you'd get the, the up and down, right? And depending on how punk rock you looked and how punk rock you sounded, you are either really welcomed or treated like an outcast. Because if you had the right clothes and the right shoes, you were a mate. But if you looked like you were supposed to be in a country club, you were ignored. But let's not kid, the opposite is true, Right? And so I bring this up because all of us have this within us, where here we are in club church, and oh, you're so welcome. This church is so wonderful, as long as you act like us and talk like us and think like us. And for each of us, that criteria might look very different, but at the end of the day, it's look like me, think like me, talk like me. And if you satisfy those requirements, you're welcome. And if you don't, you may not experience the acceptance that Jesus wants to show you through a church like ours. And so to really challenge us and put some flesh on this idea, I wanna show you a slide with some pictures on the slide. And 
I hope that you can see some of the details. But I've put up some pictures of admittedly some stereotypes. But starting top left, we've got a picture of some picketers. And this kind of represents people who think politically different to you. Then in the middle top, we've got a picture of someone in a wheelchair. This represents somebody who is physically disabled or mentally disabled, who is maybe different to you. Top right is just a picture of a number of different races. This represents someone who comes from a different racial background to you. Bottom right is a picture of a mixed race couple kind of going around clockwise. We've got a typical looking sort of punk rocker. Uh, moving towards the left, we've got a homeless person. Moving even further left, we've got someone who looks like an Afghanistani Muslim. So I want us just to carry on looking at those pictures while I ask you a number of questions. Question one, which of these make you feel uncomfortable? Now, it's easy to kind of distance yourself from these people. They're on a screen, but imagine they were sitting next to you. And let's just get real. I'm not asking you to write this down. Let's have a moment of truth. Which of these make you feel uncomfortable? And if you say none of these, you're lying. Question number two is, why? And I want to follow that up with, be aware of your, your butts. Let me rephrase that. Don't be aware of your butts. Don't be aware of anybody's butts. B-U-T-T-S. Let's, let's be aware of our, our justifications. Yeah, so-and-so makes me feel uncomfortable, but... And we come up with the reasons why I'm allowed to feel uncomfortable around this person. As you become aware of some of these thoughts and judgments, how do you feel? I'm not asking you to do anything more with that, simply to notice these thoughts, these feelings, these judgments we're making. And finally, are any of these people, and of course that list could go on longer and longer, are any of these people excluded from the grace of God? Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And so these are people who are different in our eyes that according to our own personal sense of criteria might fall outside of what makes us comfortable. But what is God's criteria? God's criteria is they exist. They were fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has a redemptive purpose for every human being on planet earth. Every human being is created in the image of God. And God wants them to know their identity in Him and to know His love and to be invited into His family, both now and forevermore. And so if that's God's criteria, that becomes our criteria because what God has done for me, I do for we. I read from the book of Romans earlier and I spoke to you about some of the racial challenges they were experiencing as a church. 
The book of Galatians is also written to a church that is experiencing a form of, of uh, a racial division. So Paul writes to them, Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28. And so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now the point Paul is making is that the identity that you live out at some level in this world, you don't cease to be a Jew. You don't cease to be a male or a female. You don't cease to be a businessman or a businesswoman. You don't cease to be an athlete. But there is a greater identity that is your truer identity, which is our true point of connection with Christ and therefore our true point of connection and identity with one another. And so some of you are saying, Stephen, you are 100% right. Stephen and Bianca and Craig and Inez and Sean and Jules and all the leaders of the church, that is what you need to do and you are 100% correct. But not only is that my job description, that is your job description. Some of you might be saying, but, but Stephen, I'm, I'm not on the welcome team. Well, as of today, you're all on the welcome team. Uh, but for Stephen, I'm new here. Well, you're on the team too. Uh, Stephen, um, you know what? I haven't experienced what you're describing and I've been wondering if I've been accepted here and from the deepest part of my heart, I get so saddened and troubled by those kinds of stories because that shouldn't be our experiences, but you're on the team too. It is all of our job because while we all arrive here on a Sunday morning and we've all kind of done our hair and chosen what we're gonna wear and brushed our teeth and putting our best foot forward, we don't know what's going on behind the hearts of the people sitting around us. And there are people sitting around you that are sitting there with a deep burden on their hearts. Do I matter? Do I matter to God? Do I matter to people? Do I have value in this world? And whether they're conscious or less conscious of the dents that are informing that doubt, people are sitting there with a sense of sin or a sense of shame or a sense of belittled value. And every single one of us has an opportunity to impart some God-given dignity to the people around us. Because what God has done for me, I do for we. And this is one of the greatest privileges in the world. One of the most helpful kind of anecdotal things that I've heard about this, I heard this past week. And basically it is this, instead of looking at someone who is different to you and instead of focusing on their differences and some of the fears and internal doubts that come up within us, say this to yourself, 
this is my brother or sister in Christ. And see what that does to your mind and your heart. And, and even if there's someone sitting here who is still checking out the things of faith and still wondering whether or not Christ is who he says he is, and so therefore by definition they're not a Christian yet, we can say to ourselves, this is a brother or sister that the Father wants to bring home and I get to put out a welcome mat. Let me give you an example. I read a story recently, some of you may have read it, about, I think literally in the last month or two, about the co-founder of the Church of Satan in South Africa. And recently he stepped down from his role because of the following story. He used to describe how he felt like the way Christians spoke about the kingdom of God, it was like a gated community that he always felt excluded from, not as part of why he went the direction that he went. So he was on a radio talk show and he was talking about what he was doing very public in terms of his satanic persona and all that kind of stuff. And he spoke very clearly about how he didn't believe in Jesus. He got over the interview and was walking around and one of the employees of the radio station, a woman went up to him and gave him a hug. And he says, in that moment, something happened. I had never felt so loved in my entire life. A few days later, he realized on social media that this lady was a Christian, a Christ follower. Anyway, a few weeks later, he was doing a ritual and he was really seeking, in his own words, more power and more influence. And Jesus appeared to him. So he says to this vision, if you are real, prove yourself to me. Next minute, he became so filled and so saturated and so overwhelmed with love and grace. And the only other time he had experienced that was when this woman had hugged him a few weeks before that. And that is what convinced him about who Jesus was. He stepped down from being a high priest in the church of Satan and is now a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is what I'm talking about. That you and I get to be a flesh and blood representative of the God who is in us to one another that somehow God uses us even in our frailty to build up one another in our identities in Christ. Now I know some of you and I would guess that if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you're probably saying, but Stephen, what about sin? Are you just saying that God just accepts us? What about all the sin in our lives? What about the fact that we need to repent? What about what Jesus died for? What about all these sinners that are gonna come in believing that God just accepts them as they are? And even if that's not your question, I want to give you a number of thoughts in response to that. And the first response is this, that he or she who is without sin cast the first stone. 
See, here's what we, especially as Christians who have walked the road, begin to do. We begin to lie to ourselves. Yeah, I'm not a stripper. I'm not in sexual sin with other people's, you know, wives and whoever else. Yeah, I, I maybe, I maybe, I maybe deal with a little bit of pride, a little bit of greed, maybe. Maybe sometimes I'm selfish, but but that's but people don't know that. People see a wonderful follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus responds by saying, or God's word responds by saying that God opposes the proud. Jesus says that, that even if you have these thoughts within you, it is as if you have committed adultery. The book of 1 John 1 verses 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 Timothy 5.24 similarly says, the sins of some are obvious. Oh, it is so easy to look at someone whose sins are obvious and say, that's a sinner. And yet the sins of others trail behind them because I've become so good at wearing this mask and portraying a false reality. In other words, before we say, what about sin and sinners coming into the church and being accepted by God? Let's just realize that for every finger we're pointing at someone else, there's three pointing towards ourselves. Thought number two concerns the nature of the gospel. And here I do want to make very clear, just like when we sin against one another, sin separates within the context of a relationship. In the same way, when we sin against God, and by the way, every time we sin against another human being, just like if someone sins against my child, I feel it. When we sin against God's children, He feels it. In other words, all of our sins ultimately are against Him. Sin separates. And that is a problem that needs a resolution. But the gospel isn't. So sort yourselves out first and then come to church. That's like saying to someone who's been in a car crash, ambulance is there, just fix yourself out first and then we'll sort you out in the hospital. The gospel is, as Craig prayed, we couldn't sort ourselves out. We as humanity... For thousands and thousands of years, some I haven't been able to eliminate our frailty and our sin in our lives. We haven't been able to get over the enemy of death. And so the gospel says that Jesus became a human in our place for many, many reasons. One of which is he lived the life that you and I couldn't live in our place. He died the death in our place for our sin, Romans 5 verses 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for you to sort yourself out first before he accepted you. On the basis of his life, he accepted you in your sin and failure and frailty. That is the gospel. And then thought number three is this, which is related, grace, then truth. 
the line I quoted earlier, which has become a bit of a, almost a mythological line that is used by Christians and non-Christians alike, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. It comes from a famous story in John chapter eight, where a woman who was caught in adultery, by the way, where was the dude? No one knows. Takes two to tango. Anyway, this woman got dragged in front of Jesus. The Pharisees wanted to stone her. They had all the Bible verses condemning her for her sin. And it was at this point that Jesus says that he who is without sin cast the first stone. Moments of clarity, starting with the oldest men first, they put the stones down. The irony of all of this is the only one who was without sin didn't have a stone in his hand. So people put stones down and walked away. Until Jesus says to the woman, who's now just him and her, woman, where are all those who would condemn you? And she says, Lord, they're, they're gone. Listen to Jesus' response. Neither do I condemn you. Grace, Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Truth. Grace, then truth. Grace, then truth. Neither do I condemn you. Now, let's live a life of transformation. Romans 2 verses 4 says something very similar. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience, not realizing that it is God's kindness that is intended you to lead intended, sorry, to lead you to repentance. Yes, there is a moment that every single person needs to face where the lights go on, we have a moment of clarity concerning our own failures and also what God wants for us where God, through the preaching of His Word and the sharing of testimony and through the work of His power and His presence, His Holy Spirit, suddenly for the first time, the lights go on and, and people see Jesus for who He is, His kindness, His greatness, His Lordship, and His love. And Jesus is moving towards them. There still comes a point where that person needs to figure out, am I going to respond to Him moving towards me or not? And that moment is called repentance. Quite literally turning 180 degrees. I was living this way for myself, for these reasons, for, the, for my own glory, the glory of my company, or whatever the case might be. And now I turn from that towards this God who is moving towards me in love and kindness. And I leave that behind and I move towards Him. So there is a moment of repentance which also has to be followed by a lifestyle of repentance, where every day those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, as a result of that first moment, we wake up every day and we say, God, I choose you today, your kingdom, your way, your will, as we sang earlier today. And so what starts as a moment turns into a lifestyle of transformation, but notice what comes first. Not transformation, then acceptance, but the other way around. No one gets judged into the kingdom of God. 
No one gets criticized into the kingdom of God. But we get a vision of the kingdom of God when we sense the welcome of the Father and the way He made for us in Jesus Christ. And we see the glory and the beauty and the truth of Jesus and we respond to that. The transformation is part of the journey, not the requirements for admission. You understand that? And so what God did for me, I do for we. Just think about how patient God has been with you. Think about how kind God has been with you and your failures and your inconsistencies. And so what God has done for me, I do for we. I hope you're seeing that church and what we spoke about earlier this morning, life groups, is not about God up in heaven with an attendance register. But I'm hoping you're starting to see a vision of us seeing who God is, responding to Him, receiving all the grace and love that He gives us, slowly being transformed into His likeness in this world, living out that new identity and the opportunity that I get to play in all of us. That I have an incredible opportunity to reflect this grace in flesh and blood towards the people around me and somehow be part of them living out their identity in Christ. And by the way, this is not limited to what happens between these four walls. I mean, we're in a school, we're not in a typical church building. But what I mean by that, it's not limited to just us Christians in Riverside. If we're gonna do for we what God has done for me, think about all we've covered this last week, about the words that we say to one another. Husbands and wives, we're gonna go home and we're gonna speak words of life and encouragement and formation to one another. And when we are addressing a failure or a sin or a shortcoming, man, what God has done for me, I'm gonna do for we. And so we're gonna do it with great patience and great love and a great sense of let God deal with me first before I deal with anybody else. Let me model this as best as I can. So we're gonna live this out in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces. We're gonna live this out with our colleagues, showing people this is what it means to be a child of God. The Father wants you back in His home too. Listen, I've mentioned this before. I think the last time I mentioned this was years ago. Hear me out on this. I don't want a nice church. Yeah, think about in high school, the nice guy. Never offends anybody. Never does anything wonderful. Kind of neither here nor there, just a nice guy. I don't want a nice church where we've mastered the superficial levels through which we live and represent ourselves to one another. 
I want a church, and it starts with me, a church that receives and gives this kind of awesome grace, which is going to be so messy. Think about that slide that I put up of those pictures of people that might, for various reasons, make you feel uncomfortable. If we're going to be the kind of church where there are going to be increasing numbers of people here who make you feel uncomfortable, but we choose to step into that because that is what Christ did for me, we're gonna have an awesome church, but a messy church. A church, that's what I want. And I'm inviting every single one of you to be part of that story. And so as I wrap up, what God has done for me, I do for we. Two parts. Number one, what God has done for me. If you are a Christian, I pray there's something of a fresh awareness, a fresh joy, fresh pleasure in what God has done for you. And if not, I pray the Spirit does something in your heart. For some of you, I don't know, maybe you walked in this morning unsure about the things of God, unsure about who Jesus Christ, but for whatever reason, something that was said this morning landed with you. And you're saying, oh, is that the gospel? I thought I had to be this good person in order for God to love me. You're telling me the reverse is true? Yes, I am. You're telling me that Jesus takes his life and gives it to me as if I lived that life? Yes, I am. And all my failures that just wreck me and have wrecked my relationship, Jesus paid for those. Yes, I am. And that Jesus wants to give his life and his power to me so that I can, I can live out a new identity. That's exactly what I'm saying. And if that's you, I just want you to take stock of that. God is moving towards you and he's inviting you to respond by moving towards him and laying down that first song that we sang this morning, laying down all that we used to hold on to and embracing this wonderful God in Jesus Christ. What God has done for me, the second part, I do for we. I understand that for some of you, You've experienced these dents and these hurts. And while I want to acknowledge that and sympathize with that, this sermon hasn't really been how to process that stuff. But rather a wake-up call for every single one of us that while that is true, and by the way, the scriptures are crystal clear that church has always been like that. Sadly, but true. From day one, the church has not been a perfect church, but luckily the church is not the means of salvation. Jesus is. And so there are ways to deal with our hurts and our baggage and, and process that. And maybe that's why you're on the journey. <laughs> but the other side is this invitation. Can you see how you need the people around you? And the people around you need you. We have this beautiful and powerful responsibility to change the narrative. So wherever God is highlighting and drawing your attention 
please take notice of that as we pray. Father, you are this perfect loving Father who loves us and who has invited us into his family. You call us sons and daughters the same way you call Jesus your son. You call us your children. We become as scandalous as that sounds, co-heirs with Jesus Christ himself. And nothing can stand between us and your love. That is who we are. And that's the soil we've been turning in the last few weeks. And for some of us, we still need to pause there in response. And if you feel like that's you, I wanna give you a few seconds to in your own heart, respond to the God who is calling on you right now and moving towards you. Jesus, I I see your love, I see your grace. I've needed that reminder. Oh, maybe this is the first time I've ever seen what this is all about. So I choose once again to turn, turn away and turn towards. Your word says, as the Apostle Paul prays that we together with all the saints would become aware of how deep and wide and high and long the love of God is. That we would know this love that surpasses understanding. God, allow us to know this love in a way that goes beyond our minds. And Father, for those of us, as we think about moving from me to we, if there are those who are carrying some dents from fellow Christians, I do pray for a moment of grace and healing and forgiveness. As we have been forgiven by you, so we call on your resources to forgive others around us and be freed of that. Free us this morning, Jesus. Breathe new life and new hope into our dented souls. And Father, give us great vision for how my life matters to those around me, those I haven't met. Some of us need to lay down some of our isms, racism, sexism, and the list goes on. Our fears around those who are different to us. We repent of that, Lord. We repent of that. We are wrong. That is not how you loved me. And so Lord, now help me love those and accept those who are different to me in tangible ways. With love, conversation, relationships in our homes. God, I pray something would shift in the dynamic of who we are as Christians today. 
This world needs to know this grace. And may we be those who put out the welcome mat and become real flesh and blood to those around us. This is all for your glory. The name of Jesus.